I get up to, I don't know, 10th or, or so, and I crash. And I go back down to, like, 20th. And I remember coming around a corner, and my old man was so pissed, he started throwing rocks at me in this tight corner. <laughs> Episode 29, Tank Slapping Podcast, post-Indie Edition, Sammy Saavedra. I lived up to my name this weekend, man. I I was Sneaky Sam. I'll tell you about it in a little bit. Tell me about it now, bro. What's up? (laughs) All right, man. Well, you know, Indy's, uh, well, you know, a lot of the races now are pretty locked down. And uh, as far as getting access to watch uh, the motorcycles go around the track, so... I had to get sneaky, man. I had to get creative and go around and uh, find some spots to, uh, to 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 you know scope the action. And uh, well, I'm going to be self-incriminating because I'm going to be blasting uh, Instagram with some of the videos I took. And well, I guess the I just let the cat out of the bag. So uh, maybe you're, I just busted myself. Yeah, you're done for uh, Springfield, bro. They're going to have wanted posters <laughs> all around the track. <laughs> yeah. Sammy, don't let this guy anywhere. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, we, we're going to have our intro with uh, Chris Carter, man. We want to bring him on and chat a bit about the weekend. Carter, what's good, bro? Not much, man. It was a hell of a weekend to watch as a fan, I'll tell you that. I watched from, uh, from Loretta's, actually. It was pretty entertaining. Yeah, hell yeah. Well, we're going to kind of do some bench racing from Indy before we call our guest today, who is Pat Maroney, 1-800-FAST-HOG, man, just legendary team owner, crew chief, dealership owner and operator. So real excited. It's been a few weeks in the making, uh, getting Pat Maroney on, a lot of requests for Pat. So we're going to call him in a bit. But before we get to that and our bench racing, I want to thank our sponsors and make this show happen, Bell Power Sports. All three champions have worn the Bell Race Star Flex last season. Check out bellhelmets.com to view their full line of products. Their quality and safety is unmatched. Roof Systems of Dallas, Texas, Jerry Stinchfield and the whole crew, Commercial Industrial Roofing Company. Nearly 40 years of experience. Check them out at commercialroofsystems.net. Shoot Jerry a message. Say thanks for uh, supporting the sport and, and our podcast. Dunlop Tire, the official tire of the American Flat Track Series with their new and improved DT4 Flat Track Tire. To find the nearest dealer, visit DunlopMotorcycleTires.com. Hit them up on social media and tell them the boys from Tank Slap and sent you. And also, shout out to the Moto America Series. They are the official AMA road racing series in the USA led by 190 mile an hour superbikes. We've talked about this before, but Moto America viewership, it's a crazy stat. They've exceeded 10 million viewers already this year and offer over $1 million in Superbike purse. The Ridge in the Pacific Northwest is this weekend, TV only. So make sure you check that out. Go on MotoAmerica.com, get the Moto America Live Plus package, and then as well as live Superbike on Fox Sports Saturday and Sunday. You can watch it live, and then live Supersport on Map TV Saturday and Sunday. Check out MotoAmerica.com for more information. Yeah, so Indy, boys. Let's, uh, Carter, what do you got for Indy, man? What, what, what are your thoughts on the uh, weekend? Well, it was interesting for me going into it because I had actually absolutely no context for, like, what, you know, the history that Indy has. So uh, it was awesome for me to watch as a fan. Like I, like I said earlier, it was uh, it was interesting from the get, man. I think it looked a little dusty in the earlier 
in the earlier uh, qualifying laps, right? But uh, but they definitely looked like they dialed in the track towards the end of the weekend. But uh, I don't know, man. I, I, I just love seeing a mile race. I, I'm glad that they got an extra one in there. And uh, it turns out that, you know, the, histor- the historic uh, results continued throughout this weekend. So it was fun to watch for sure. I know it was fun to be there. Yeah, you know, it's always great. Uh, you know, it was kind of bittersweet, you know, should I say, to be at Indy because, as we all know, it may be the last one ever. But it's always great to be at a mile. I mean, uh, there, there's, you know, I don't know who, who uh, doesn't love a mile. It's 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 amazing. If you, if you haven't been to one yet, get yourself to a mile because there's nothing like it. But, uh, yeah, like you said, man, Indy's very historic. And uh, it, it definitely lived up to its uh, – legend of being a historic racetrack with Breyer getting, uh, you know, a win, his first mile win, which gave him the uh, grand slam of flat track. So he's won on, uh, you know, a short track, a half mile, a TT, and now a mile. And and he dominated uh, the weekend. Um, yeah. So, you know, there was a lot of cool points, uh, uh, you know, throughout the weekend. I don't know if you guys want a full race report, but, you know, we all watched it. It was definitely a cool weekend. Corey, uh, I know you had not the best weekend going, but you really showed everyone why you got the number one plate and turned your weekend around. You qualified like 11th, you, you know, you weren't nowhere near the top of the charts and then, uh, you were on the podium. So tell us about Indy from your take. Well, I'll give you a, a number that's stuck in my head since I left the racetrack and it's 12. Do you know the significance of 12, Sammy? It, does it have to do with a Harley Davidson? 12 seconds is what I lost by on Saturday. And that is a number that I'm not happy with. So everyone, it was congratulating me on second and, and that's great. I, I, I was pretty happy with how I turned it around to an extent, but when you come in and you look at the results uh, sheet and there's a plus 12 after your name and you finish second, that's kind of the, the stat I look at. So, um, yeah, it was a rough, it was a rough weekend for me. I, I felt really good at the uh, practice night there on Thursday. I felt like I had, I had them covered. And then, you know, the track prep, they they dug the track up and changed it around for Friday and Saturday. And I couldn't get my shit together to be honest. And, you know, the boys, my team, and Julian and all them guys are like, well, "What can we do to the bike?" I'm like, "Dude, the bike's fine. It's me. Like, don't touch the bike because I'm so far out of where we need to be adjusting the bike right now. It doesn't really matter." So. We didn't change a thing to the bike on Saturday. Oh, I'm sorry, Friday, and I ended up. Uh, I think I started 12th in the main event and worked my way up to fifth. And I think uh, another two, another one or two laps. You know, I would have had your rider for fourth. I was uh, closing in on my boy Ryan. <laughs> I was lurking, um, but no, yeah. I mean, it was, uh, and, and even third, I felt like we were gaining on third too. So, um, but yeah, a fifth on Friday, and then. You know, Saturday for me, I don't want to talk about uh, my weekend too much, but I ended up coming from, I think, seventh or eighth and worked my way up to second. So um, good weekend. But yeah, the only number that uh, I'm sorry, not a good weekend. Uh, it was it was decent. I, I don't want to cry and moan about a fifth and a second, but I put a lot of work into uh, to not not do better. And yeah, that number number 12 definitely sticks in my head the most and try and work to uh, not let that happen ever again. So. I wouldn't be too down on yourself, dude. That's totally a racer's answer. I get it, but like, 
Come on, that, that getting that second place finish on Saturday is pretty Rispoli solid. Rispoli smoked you. Nobody no. was touch, nobody was gonna touch Rispoli in that race, dude. He was on rails, looking good, and uh, it was awesome to see that you know that him get his win, uh, Ben Lau get that win, and dude, can we talk about that Brandon Kitchen move and the singles class on? Well, Pride? I was gonna say oh all the uh, God, everyone that won besides Briar because he won the first night, but everyone yep. had like Breyer it too. was like a first, like yeah. you know Brandon Kitchen's first win. Yep. Henry Wiles' first singles win, Ben Lau's first ever pro win, James's first production win, Briar's first mile win. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, a, a lot of, you know, um, firsts. So that was – that's good for the fans to see some variety. And, um, yeah, I mean, talk about the singles race. Yeah, I, I, nobody could have predicted these results, honestly. I mean, Brandon Kitchen's a good rider, but – to win win the mile like uh yeah that was definitely unexpected that was a crazy race and for me just again just watching these singles races is stressful and i'm just super pumped and proud of the of the riders for giving each other respect for the most part i seen a couple moves that were kind of eh you know it was kind of like come on dude but um but yeah for the most part you know they gave each other respect and it was uh brandon kitchen grabbing the win the first night and Henry Wiles taking the win the second night. Sammy, what uh, what you got for us on the singles class? Well, you know, um, like you said, it was uh, there were some surprise winners, and uh, you know that's always good to see. But if you if you go back a couple shows, I think I mentioned Brandon Kitchen being <laughs> on my radar uh, quarter. So I know you got that somewhere on the I'm, files. I'm sure but anyway, did. so yeah. I didn't think uh, you know I was still just as surprised to see that move he pulled going into three, yeah. and that was a great race those guys had going on, and I think he really took them by surprise because. You know, they had no idea he was part of that race until they went into turn three. And uh, they were like, holy shit, now what? You know, and he just jacked up everybody's game and beat them to the stripes. So, uh, you know, and and Lau did the same thing. uh, Or not the same thing, but a lot of history went down uh, over the weekend. Yeah, I just, I think the track prep really, it was was kind of unpredictable. The the two race nights and a lot of guys were able to capitalize on, on that a bit. Um, I mean, to be honest, I think the, the track prep was pretty shitty. Um, Friday, you know, Friday they prepped it, they dug it up real deep, and then they sent us out on it, the production twins class, and it was like cornfield. It was like a cornfield. It was like it was super deep and rough and dry, and we did two laps. They pulled us back in, and I was just like, man, I can't believe y'all sent us out on on that track. Like, and then yeah, I, another thing too. There was a guy on. I, I I don't know why. I think we had some downtime. I popped on social media and. Uh, somebody one of my friends commented you think these riders back in the day parker and them they would have pulled off on a track if it's a little rough and i'm like bro that's exactly what they did <laughs> like what do you mean i've seen videos of guys like parker and cars sitting out and and things like that and it was kind of funny too our, our guest on the show last week larry pegram he uh he made a comment and uh i won't say who but he was he was mocking somebody and he said yeah Back in my day, we would have uh, we would have loaded up the truck. I mean, raced like like he was saying like back in the day they would have loaded up the truck. Oh, I mean, we would have raced like Larry. You know, it was good for Larry to be there and kind of have our backs a bit because he raced in that era. And um, yeah, it's just like come on, like you're not even you don't even know what's going on. Like it was you couldn't race on it at that point. But yeah, back to the track prep. It was just uh, Thursday. I thought the track was awesome. The uh, test day, it was super abrasive. The groove, it got really wide and. It was a lot of fun the race and then yeah friday and saturday it was just it was technical so it was um 
you know, I, w- I guess saying it's sh- the track prep was shitty was is maybe a little harsh. Uh, I think it was uh, a challenge. Uh, I- I've been asked to uh, describe things differently with uh, track prep, so I, I would say it was a ch- it was a challenge for for the for the crew. But it is what it is. Same racetrack for everybody. Um, fr- Saturday was a lot better. I'll, I'll give them that. Um, but it's just hard to recover from it from Friday. Like one day later, it's hard to make the track way better. You know what I mean, Carter? It was, uh, yeah. it's just one of them things. It is what it is. And yeah, luckily it was some good racing for the fans. That's really all that matters. And everybody stayed safe. So absolutely. Everybody came out on the safest side of things. And it was definitely fun to watch, man. I, I definitely enjoyed it. I'll tell you what, you guys missed it this weekend at Loretta's, man. It poured again and it was so wet Noah Noah tried to survive man he didn't make the gate again this weekend but uh man it's it's been a challenge out there dude like just just trying to get a track that's even rideable uh with these ruts have been serious the past two weeks yeah you know obviously I mean we were all in Indy and kind of busy with that so there's a lot of things I missed there but uh I I did see a couple little clips and uh, I mean it looked (laughs) it looked like uh I don't even want to say what it looked like, but I'll just yeah. throw in the words Taco Bell and me. <laughs> it was, uh, they couldn't looked, even, they couldn't even like scrape. It wasn't even worth scraping off. Cause like the whole day there was more, there was the threat of more rain coming. Right. So like, it was just good. And they just, they just got in there and it got tacky. Things got, and there, there was one point where like legitimate, like top 10 riders, you watched one get stuck. And then two seconds later in the next turn, another one would get stuck. And then two seconds later in the next turn, one after the other, like it, it was the most insane I've seen in the two, three years I've been following it. It's nuts. Yeah, and I like seeing a mutter every like ten races, just because you get guys up there that are that you don't see up there a lot. But oh, yeah. I just feel bad for Noah, just because and all the guys really like you drive all the way down to Tennessee, you have one practice. It wasn't even yep. you know one qualifying session to yeah. go out and make the gate, and if you don't make the gate, you're done. It's just like it's kind of a it's just it's just a bummer for the privateers to travel that far. I don't know what the entry fees are, but just to drive all the way down there and buy hotels and gas and you go out and what, what is the qualifier? Is it 10 minutes? Yeah. If that 10, 15, yeah. 15 yeah. minutes. Yeah. And it, yeah, just dude, I, there's no, I, I couldn't Think even about ride the around Daytona there. short track back in the day, man. You go there, <laughs> you know, you're done. <laughs> you're yeah. done. One thing, true. one thing kind of following him and going out to these races that I, that I'd never really understood before is just the level of like talent that's at these events, man. The fact, I mean, Noah's no chump, right? Like the fact he's, that he, Noah's awesome. Yeah. yeah right. Fast. The fact that he's like struggling so hard just to get that gate you know it's it's he's gonna get it this year though i'm guaranteeing it i'm guaranteeing yeah. it. it's just a matter well he rode really good actually like he, looking at he his did times, right like his, his times were horrible and that's what i'm yeah. saying just the level of talent in this in this class that people come to these races in. but i it was what i love is he he drove all the way back home and i was looking at his instagram story the next day he's right right at the track again getting after it. oh yeah so he's and we're going we're going riding tomorrow we're yeah. going riding tomorrow he's determined you know, and he's he wants to get that gate it may happen at iron man who knows he's going back this he's yeah. going this weekend he's getting getting another yeah. win. savage yeah we'll have to call noah we'll, ch- we'll check in with him uh next weekend and get an update from uh from the legend himself Love but him. uh yeah that was uh that was good it was good for noah to uh go out there and just put laps in and keep digging so uh i'm i'm interested to hear this week's interview i don't know anything about this guy at all you know i'm fairly new to the whole flat track scene 
so I don't have the whole context of the history. So what what can we expect here, Sammy? Uh, what, what, what do we get to expect in this interview? Uh, well, Pat's a, you know, an old school guy. And uh, if you listen to any of our past shows and we talk to old school guys, you know, they're going to give it to us <laughs> straight and unfiltered. So uh, that's what I'm looking forward to I love it. Uh, from Pat is, uh, you know, just some wild, crazy ass stories and uh, entertainment for sure. Yeah, these old guys, they're a little unpredictable. You don't know what they're going to say. Um, it's kind of funny, actually, to to get these guys on the show and talk about the old days, and hopefully Pat will open up quite a bit about, uh, about some of the tricks that he used to do to his bikes because we've had some guests on the show that have already commented on uh, the Maroney's 883s and uh jay you know johnson uh when he was hosting with me he would talk a bit about the uh the bikes a little and what they did and hopefully we can get pat to open up that that guy's uh he's pretty he's pretty funny man he's a fun loving like easygoing dude and kind of like a hippie but from new york so it's kind of like i don't know it's just like a good vibe when you talk to pat so i'm excited to to chat with him i've known him for a very long time him uh him my dad go way back uh they own a dealership. My father owned a dealership uh, in Pennsylvania, so we go way back, and I'm stoked to uh, chat with him. Hello. Pat Maroney, Corey Texter, Sammy Sabedra here with the podcast. How are you, man? Great. Good to have you on, dude. We've been getting a lot of requests to have you on the show. The, the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. And the, the, the biggest is actually Jared Meese, man. It, constantly, every week, he's like, got to get Pat on, got to get Pat on. I was like, all right, let's, let's get him on. <laughs> How you doing? Great. Yeah, Good. just uh, chilling out in New York. What's uh, what's life like right now for you? I mean, I know longtime dealership owner, operator. What do you, what's, what's life like for Pat Maroney right now? Uh, my life's probably never been better other than – um, it's probably been better financially when I was selling 500 new Harleys a year for 2000 over retail and that way I could afford a race team and travel the country and piss away million dollars a year. But, um, that was some good times, but, uh, as far as my personal life now, I've, um, you know, I've, I'm with an awesome woman. Um, we travel a lot. Uh, we do a lot of camping, you know, we just do a lot of, uh, just really fun things, and I'm um, in a really great place right now, personally, you know. I mean, as good as you can be without going to a dirt track every weekend. Well, that, that, that's uh, that's always good to hear when people are doing good. <laughs> but, you know, Pat, you, you know, do you ever get back to the races, and uh, you ever, you know, find yourself, uh, you know, cruising the pits or sitting in, in the grandstands uh, anymore? Yeah, we did Barberville um, this spring. Our, uh, the Bike Week Barberville, not the National. Oh, okay. And that was kind of it's, – it's a lot different than it used to be. But um, And we're threatening to do maybe Springfield or – we'll probably do one of the miles. I've been doing, watching the podcast. Like, I watched the Indy um, miles. That was, that was pretty cool. I mean, it's so cool now you can watch them on TV, you know. I mean, you don't really have to drive across the country to, to see a race. I mean, it's nothing like being live, but – you know, it's awesome to be able to watch them online. It's it's a lot different um, uh, compared to the cycle news days, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I actually really like the, the you know a lot of the format 
with the longer races. I mean, I, I've been pitching that for 20, you know, 20 years or whatever, when I was back into it and I had some horsepower with the AMA and everything, um, you know, to, to make these races longer, like they're doing now with the short tracks and a half miles, you know, to, um, a time thing instead of a lap thing. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah I agree, man. A lot of the older fans don't like it, but I think it's pretty cool. And I think, uh, obviously uh, for the half miles, a lot, of, a lot more racing, 35 laps yeah. we had at Volusia, so that was cool. Uh, I was always a big fan of that. I was always pitching that to, to whoever would listen, but um, no, I'm glad that, I mean, that's a, one of the best changes I've seen in flat track. Yeah, there's a couple of things, I guess, some highs and some pros and cons that we can kind of get into, but um, right. I want to talk a little bit about your, uh, your career as a racer a little bit, and then I want to get into you as a team owner, but you were one of the top professional privateer motocross riders for for a long time really you know you had a, yep. a few top 10 finishes overall and i think you had a top five and you know you raced and competed and beat a lot of you know legendary moto guys so talk a little bit about i mean there's so much to talk about with those days but um talk about your career in motocross for those listening that don't know much about them well uh back in the day like the early 70s or whatever every all the top factory boys were from California. So all the, all the really good riders got noticed by all the factories were out there when they're racing Saddleback and, um, you know, Carlsbad and those kind of races. So that's where the factories were. So they pulled all the factory guys and they got all the good bikes and, and all the teams. So when you went to a national and you were from the East Coast or anywhere else in the country, no one even kind of knew you. So and you were, and you were a disadvantage because California was so much ahead, like with DG and FMF, and they were just their bikes were just so much faster than the you know pretty much anyone anyone's bikes on the on the East Coast um, that it was it was really hard to com, you know compete horsepower wise. But I always did really good in sand races, sand track races where it got like super rough and you really didn't need a lot of horsepower and you just you know just winged it and, and held the thing wide open through the whoops and stuff and uh and i and basically a lot of mud races i did really good and like unadilla and stuff i did you know i won unadilla a couple times um southwick i did really good at southwick top fives there broom tioga that was a real loamy track i did always top 10 there but then i get out in california and it was kind of like blue groove hard pack and just not my thing so um, didn't do that great there, but pretty much everywhere Florida did really good. I got third in the Florida Winter Series uh, three times, like 77, 78, 79. Um, you know, Daytona Supercross. I made like, uh, I think, 14 main events, Supercross main events. And that's before they had uh, like 250 and open. Back then it was just one class, 250. So everyone went and qualified. And if you made, you know, you made the, 20 rider cut you were you know there was no 125 no two you know nowadays you got the 250 guys coming up and then the 450 class um that would have really been helpful helpful for guys like me back then you know to be able to race against guys more my level and then get to the next level instead of just throwing everyone right in the same group but i, I made a lot of main events um and yeah i, I had a really good career i i probably should have trained a little harder than I did. Like a lot of my idols back then, just like in dirt track or anything, you know, a lot of my idols 
were big partiers and you know you'd be hanging out with them after the races and they'd be partying and you're like all right well I might as well be partying right along with these guys, right? <laughs> but, yeah. but like, and then Hannah came along, and you know, and then he kind of changed it, and he started to get into like killer shape, and then everyone started, you know, probably late seventies, early eighties, everyone started to get in really good shape, and and um, it probably would have would have helped a little bit if I would have caught on to getting in the training end of things, even dirt track now. I mean, back in the day, dirt trackers never trained. I mean, Springsteen, Parker, Ricky Graham, them guys, you know, the whole crew back in the seventies, eighties, they were just they're just having a lot of fun going really fast and they didn't take it as serious as like a Jared Mees or even Corey and, and, and guys today just train their asses off, which, you know, you have to because everyone is, and that's the, the, the sport. But, you know, back in the day, it was, it was just a lot of good times, but um, about probably like 81, 82, I figured out that I wasn't going to make it racing pro motocross and uh my dad had a harley dealership that was kind of suffering because my old man just he was so old school he, he had no customer relations at all you know if someone didn't someone was pissed off coming to his dealership you know he wouldn't try to cool a guy off you just throw him out and back then you could do something <laughs> like that there was no online, you know, you, no one was going to bust your chops online. There was no buying parts online. If you wanted to go to your dealer, you went to your dealer because your next dealer was, you know, so far apart. But like in the 80s, that started all changing with, you know, customer service and treating everyone really good and making everyone happy. And and my dad wasn't in it. So I, I, I seen that if I didn't step in, kind of like Randy did, um, you know, Corey's dad with, with Old Man Tex, even though Old Man Tex is nothing like my old man. Old Man Tex is a saint compared to my old man. But Randy <laughs> kind of did the same thing, you know. He got in there and, and figured, this is my future. We make this dealership work. You know, same, you know, and at the same time, I was, you know, I kind of had the same um, same basic um, instinct that I need to do that if I want to make a living the rest of my life. So I got out of the motocross and then went into – cross-country race and qualified for the six days and I never went that was like one of my biggest disappointments I never actually went to the six days I qualified for it um and never went I figured I'll do it next year but that next year it never came then I, I turned double a in the woods and rode a bunch of national enduros top five a uh, bunch of those top three to couple when the alligator enduro one year overall um Daytona and that kind of stuff. And then I just I I made the mistake of going to a track day with Keith Code at Watkins Glen and rented a Kawasaki uh road race bike, me and a bunch of friends just for a goof. And as soon as I started road I did like ten laps around road race course and then I was hooked. <laughs> I just like this is the coolest thing I've ever done. It's like motocross without getting tired. You know, it ain't like you're out in the woods beating yourself for 100 miles and you're you're just killing yourself. I mean, you do the whole race. It's an awesome adrenaline rush. I'm like, this is me. So then basically started road racing and then started with the vintage stuff. So it was always in the old Harley. So I put together an old KR flat track, you know, converted to a road race Harley. I got a hold of Roger Raymond, who was like one of the top you know, factory Harley riders back in the day, him and I hooked up and were friends and, and he, he helped me with the KR to get that dialed. And, and I went vintage road racing for 
for a couple of years, just have a lot of fun, man. Hooked up with Team Obsolete, Rabbi Anucci in, in Brooklyn, and he had, like, all these exotic bikes that he had me riding. And, he, you know, we went to Europe. We went, we went all over uh, road racing for the longest time. And then at that same time, they came out with the 83-class road racing. So that was like, a, God made me this class. And on the vintage racing, I love old Harleys. I love Harleys. And now they have an 883 class. I could just take an 883, take the lights off, and go race it. So did a bunch of, like, two years of 883 racing until I wadded it up really good and ended up in the hospital um, for a couple, of day, a couple of days. And uh, <laughs> actually, Randy drove my wife and kids home from Charlotte and <laughs> stayed in uh, Corey's dad. And I stayed in um, the hospital in Charlotte for about a week and recovered from that. And then after I got back into the road racing, after I, I you know, healed up and everything, um, I started losing shutoff contests going in the corners. You know, I don't know. I never was really hurt motocross, and I never really got hurt. I never was really hurt to the point I was in a hospital for like a week with broken bones and, you know, all, all screwed up. So that kind of like got in my head. So I went, when I went back road racing, I was never the same after that. And that's yeah. when I decided, you know what? I'm almost 30. And actually, I was there at 31, 32. I go, I love dirt track. I love Harleys. I love racing the Harleys. Let me just get some of these young kids on some of my Harleys, and we'll go dirt tracking. So I picked up Jason Fletcher. He was a local kid going really fast at the point. And we put together an XR750, and we put him on some 883s. And, you know, if I had to do it over, I probably would just stuck to one rider. But for whatever reason, back then, I had, probably because I was making way too much money, I had this hallucination, I'm gonna, I want at least two or three riders. I want, like, a big team. You know, and so it really, su I mean, my riders suffered because I was spread out too thin. So I, I had Jared Mees, right? I had Aaron Yates. I had Jake Johnson. I mean, I had all these guys riding for me. But if I probably would have just concentrated one at a time, I mean, with Mike Hacker, um, I probably would have done a lot better. I mean, we did good, but I was spread really thin, and it, and it, it got crazy, but it, it was just awesome back then, you know. It's just, uh, yeah, I probably had at least thirty or forty different national numbers ride my bikes at at any different time. You probably have a pretty awesome number plate collection, huh, Pat? Oh, I do. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. my garage, exactly. I've got number plates like scattered everywhere. I mean, you know, uh, Will Davis. You know, once we got once I got my shit together as far as figured out really where I wanted to go. And I got out of the road racing because the road racing thing, I just couldn't make work. It was just too much doing the road racing and the flat tracking. And, you know, it was just, it got too crazy. And I even tried to get Jared and Jake when they rode for me to road race. I bring, <laughs> I got them, I got them actually from Honda. I got them uh, some 600s and we went, we went road racing for a while and they just never, they went really fast, but they just, they just loved dirt was, track. So they wasn't their thing wasn't just wasn't their thing you know yeah Jake would crack a bunch jerry he just wasn't into it um but we we tried i mean we tried to get them guys road racing because we you know it was kind of thing dirt track was like a stepping stone back then to make it road racing and then make it big you know 
Yeah. I was going to say, you know, obviously everybody, you know, knows your, you know, the Maroney's Harley Davidson team. You know, a lot of people aren't too familiar with, with your racing career uh, back in your motocross days. And, and I remember those team obsolete and those vintage road racing days too. But, uh, you know, they're, they're, you know how, you know, dirt trackers are. There's a lot of talk around the campfire, man, you know, old bench racing yeah. stories. And, uh, you know, I always heard stories about, man, oh, Pat Maroney used to fly, man. He was fast. That guy was a hell of a motocrosser and this and that. And then, you know, about, you know, four or five beers later, you start to hear, oh, man, his old man, that guy, man, he, you know, he, when it came to toughness, John Wayne couldn't hold a candle to Pat Maroney's old man. And you start hearing all these, <laughs> all these, you know, legendary oh, stories he was brutal. and stuff. So yeah, man. Oh. You know this is tank slap, and we like to talk about you know, you know, off the beaten path kind of stuff. So I and I was cruising your uh, Instagram, and I seen that picture of of uh, I guess your your, your motor mounts broke or something. Yeah, yeah he changed the motor. So yeah, he took the 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 chains off the safety train chains off the trailer, wrapped them around the motor and the frame, and took a long bolt and. Squeeze that bolt together so it tightened that chain right around the, the motor and the frame and went out there with absolutely no front motor mounts, just chains and a thing. And I mean, talk about vibrating. Imagine a 360 Husky with no front motor mounts just revving to like 10 grand. Oh my God. It was, you know, and it, and back in the day, you couldn't, I mean, with my old man, if, if you crashed and you laid there like a puss and, you know, like, you know, let you have bones sticking out through the side of your foot or something. But, I mean, if you didn't get back on that bike and you weren't on that thing, like, instantly, he would, like, kick my ass when I got off the bike. I mean, he was in front. I mean, the, a rear flat tire, he'd say, okay, but he goes, you get a front flat tire, don't even think about pulling in. So I raced a lot of races with front flats and just, because there was no way he'd let me pull in with a front flat. That's and, hilarious. Uh, like that. <laughs> I remember one time Broom Tioga, I'm in this national. So um I'm whatever for whatever reason, I think I'm in the second qualifier and I went and looked and I swear to God I was in the second qualifier and all of a sudden they call my name for the first qualifier and I'm late for the start and I'm trying to get my gloves on. I didn't get all my fingers in my gloves. I get my boots weren't even buckled. I had my helmet half on. It probably wasn't buckled. I get to the starting gate like a little bit late, just as the gate was going down. I take off in like last place, and I had to make it to like 15th or something. There's 30 guys or 40 guys in the race, so I, I I'm flying and I I I get up to I don't know 10th or or so and I crash and I go back down to like 20th. And I remember coming around a corner, and my old man was so pissed, he started throwing rocks at me in this tight corner. <laughs> I swear to God. Every time I come around, he's throwing rocks at me <laughs> because I, I was late for the start race. I didn't know, what, and, and I crashed, and I wasn't going to make the main or make the, the program. And, you know, I, I freaking got my shit together. I made the program, but I can remember him throwing rocks at me. And this was real slow corner. Every lap. He was so pissed at me. <laughs> that, that's, that, that's legendary, man. That's legendary. <laughs> you mentioned, if you mentioned a few of the guys that rode for you, I want to kind of bring up some names, you know, you mentioned Fletcher, Mike Hacker, Davey Camlin, uh, Will Davis, oh, yeah. Lynch, yeah, Paul yeah. Morgan, Meese, Jakes, 
Smith, Roger Lee, PJ. Uh, I know I'm I know I'm missing a handful, but what was your favorite era? Like out of all those guys, who were who were the guys who were most fun to work with? Maybe the most talented, most determined. You know, you worked with a, a wide variety of riders and kind of like fill us in on on the guys and yeah, who was who was the most fun to work with? The most educating and the most serious was Will Davis. I mean, he taught me more about dirt track than anyone on the planet, any tuner. And I worked with a lot of the best tuners, too. Because when I came up, I didn't know shit. I was a motocrosser. I didn't know shit about dirt track. I didn't know shit about making an XR750 run. I mean, you could probably buy a new Indian now and get the thing to run real good. But back in the day, you built an XR750, and that thing was a turd, unless you knew every seeker in the book. I mean, it's like black magic with those things. You know, so... Will Davis was definitely the guy that taught me setup, taught me just a ton of different, you know, all this different with, with between the swing arm angle and the low center gravity and just different cams and cam tie and whatever he liked. So actually, after I got done with Will Davis and tragically passed away, you know, in Missouri in that first corner accident, which was like probably the, the biggest low point of my life. I mean, because I love the guy. I mean, he even taught me how to golf and I golf to this day, you know. But um, after that, I, I learned so much from him, and um, and Mike Wheeler was our mechanic at the time. But we, we learned so much from him. By the time I got like the Jake and Jared, and and later on with you know the other riders I had riding for me, uh, my bikes were so much better. They were so much better because you know from what I learned from him. And and then another thing I did is I hired Bill Warner for a week to come to my dealership. You know, I have an awesome mechanic guy named Dino George, who's like one of the best Harley motor builders on the planet. Even, you know, still today, he's building some of the street bikes that are just unbelievable. I just rode a bike that he built, a 131. Yeah, he's a legend. Uh, I, I, oh, I know that name. It's sick. It's a. It's it's a. It's just a sick motorcycle. It's, it's it'll idle and ride like a normal bike down the road, and you just grab a handful, and the thing just smokes the tires. It's amazing, you know, out of a tour bike. So anyway, by the time I got to you know helping Jake and and Jared, I had some pretty decent motorcycles. And thinking back, like if I had it to do over, I would either took Jake and concentrated on Jake. Or Jared and concentrated on Jared because they were both two of the hottest kids at the time coming up. I mean, they were so talented. But I try to help, you know, I try to put both of them on 80s race, and then they would go out there every race and take each other out, and it was just so much drama in the pits, and it it, it was freaking crazy. You know, so finally I had to put keep Jared on 83, so we'll win the 83 championship, and we'll just put Jake on a 750, so he stays away from Jared and you know separate him. And then Jared went out and won a 750 main event, you know, on like his rookie year, <laughs> and he won a five, you know, and we had him on the short track, and he won a 450 indoor national in Oklahoma, wherever that was, was some indoor at a casino. But um, yeah, just separating them guys were just, I mean, that was some of the best. Probably the two biggest talents I ever had on my team at the same time, you know, at that raw age, they're both about 17, 18 years old, and they were just so fast. And it was just, I mean, there were some videos, of, you know, back in the day of them two going at it, and just, it's, it was scary. It was freaking scary. You know, I can you know, remember a couple of Hagerstown races that were unbelievable. Because everyone, Hagerstown was like the home track, and them two won. You know, the whole race, they just bounced off each other. 
And finally, I think it was a big crash, and I forgot exactly what happened, but it was it turned into a total big crash. I don't know. I remember, but... It's on, it like, every good. highlight reel you yeah. see for, like, sporting highlight reels, like the crash with uh, yeah. Brian Smith, the bike breaking in half. That's like... Yeah, yeah, that's the race. Brian oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll have to post yeah, a link on the show. Race, so. I had to, like, separate them and all. And then that was kind of towards the end of the year, and then Johnny Goad picked up Jared, and Jared wanted to be on his own team, which I didn't blame him in. You know, Jake, I think, ran for me for one more year. But, yeah, it was just – it was awesome back then. The whole thing back then was just trying to figure out how to make them 750s win on the miles, you know. And once I figured that out, I figured, you know, I finally made it. Because my 750s were always good half-milers. Hacker did a a really good job just because he was so fast on the miles. On my bikes, when they weren't even that fast, he ran up front with them. But, you know, once we got into – Probably the from the mid two thousand with Brian and um, we had some fast bikes. Even when PJ rode my bikes on the miles, he he ran right up front with those. You know, with with everyone. I think his first mile Springfield, he ran up front for the whole race in the last couple laps, and they all outsmarted him. But I was no, gonna I just I, say we had really good seven fifties at the end. Oh no, no doubt. I mean, everybody knows that the you know anything under the Maroni's tent was you know was a rocket ship for sure. But out of all the riders you had over so many years, I guess it's maybe a two-part question. Uh, were there any guys that really surprised you? Like you know, you thought, oh man, this kid, this kid's gonna be something. He's gonna go someplace and maybe didn't. Or you know, was was there ever a point where like ah, this guy may not make it? Next thing you know, he goes on to have a good career. Did you ever experience anything like that with any of your riders? Well, just Jake and Jared, I knew from the get-go they were going to be national champions. I mean, I just knew that from the first time I've seen. I mean, I grew up with. I, I mean, the first time I seen Jared ride was on an eighty at Middletown, when he was probably seven, eight years old, and he just lapped the field at a pace that I it was just, um, you know, totally amazing. So I was like, wow. I mean, from that day on, I followed him from the first day I seen him when he was eight years old. And I knew, you know, I sponsored him even a lot through his amateur days. I gave him road taxes. I gave him 125s. I gave him 250. I, I gave him a ton of stuff to ride and, uh, you know, just to keep him going and give him bikes and you know, because I knew as soon as he turned pro, I wanted him on my bike. So, well, like Jared was the one I knew was going to definitely be national champion. Jake, Jake was a surprise to me. You know, I seen Jake a couple of times at indoors at Middletown go really fast and stuff, and then I seen him just a couple, just ride once or twice, and I, I just seen the talent that he had. There was just so much, like so at a different level than most of everyone on the circuit that day at, at his age. And, and I instantly got a hold of his old man and said, we got to put him on a, a fast hog. We got to get him out there. And, and I think the first time he rode in 83, he was, he was on a podium, you know, it was just, he was just amazing. He had so much natural talent and just so fast and without even trying, I mean, not even giving a shit. Jared always <laughs> had a ton of work into it. You know, serious, had a, you know, really focused, you know, Jake would just get on the thing and didn't matter if the bike was set up right. It didn't matter if everything wasn't just perfect. He would just get on that thing and twist the throttle. He used to tell me, the faster I get that tire spinning, the faster I'll go. He used to tell me, I'm like, all right. Well, <laughs> we've had a few, 
<laughs> We've had a few riders come on our show, and they've talked about your 883 program. And, you know, for a spec class, those Moroni, Moroni 883s, they seem, just a, they seem just a tick above the others. So A lot of it was the talent I had riding. Okay? I mean, I had, a, I had a lot of fast guys riding them bikes. But we did, back in the day, um, before you, they went to the later rules, actually where Jake and and Jerry were riding them. Before that, they had to have stock tires, and you couldn't change the cams or any, you know what I mean? They had to be pretty much stock bikes. That's when we did a lot of creativity. <laughs> um, I mean, we got <laughs> a lot of creativity. And um, it wasn't just me. I mean I, I mean, I learned most of my creativity from Don Tilly back in the road race days. Oh, yeah. The road race you know, he was he was like one of those southern boys that were just, you know, he's real slow talking, you know, not he never got excited. He just he was just a guy that was so freaking smart, um, with motors and everything. And I really didn't like I came from a motocross background. I didn't really know four strokes that well, you know. Um and uh I just learned so much from Don Tilly as far as the eighty three stuff and, and getting creative. I mean, we would take, I mean, that, you know, you look at the rule book, and if you couldn't change, you had to run the stock valve seats. But they didn't say you, could, you, didn't, you couldn't pull them out of the head and put them in backwards. So now you have the valve seat, you pull it out of the head, you put the valve seat in backwards. So now you have a brand-new square surface to resurface a five-angle valve job, and the valves are that much further in the combustion chamber, getting these switch up the compression. So that trick right there pointed us at how everyone was running. Um, we would run, you know, they had this thing where the, the pistons couldn't come up past 10,000 below the cylinders or whatever. So we would take and um, I'd, run the, I'd run the pistons way up there, you know, where I, I'm running like 30,000 squish, where most people are running 70, 80. And then as soon as we'd get into uh, tech inspection, they'd be pulling my motors apart. I'd take the valve cover gaskets and I'd stick them under the cylinders as I'm pulling them apart, and I'd jack the cylinders back up. So when they measured, they would they would measure, you know, 50, 60, or wherever the measurement should be. So I, I would just shim the cylinders right in tech inspection, right in front of the tech guys without them looking. I, I would stick, you know, rocker box ga gaskets under the base cylinders. <laughs> <laughs> and just through the only problem, the only time I fucked up was I had all three bikes on the podium, and they tore all three of my bikes down, and I couldn't get all of them fucking through. <laughs> like someone's gonna get, someone's gonna get booted here because I can't make all this happen. I can't do all this magic. Uh, that's... I can probably get two of them through tech, but, you know, jacking the cylinders back up to where they should be. But I couldn't do it with three. And, well, um, I like the story Jake told us about if anybody says anything to you about the frame, the bike was crashed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we bent the frames right in like four or five degrees. Yeah. The, we, we'd, taken, we'd heat up the, um, the front tubes and then the top tube, and you'd take a huge long pipe and then just take the, the whole steering rake and just bend it right in. So you get like three, four degrees steeper steering rate. 
And I tell Jake, if anyone says anything, just say, oh, this thing hit the wall at Springfield, and this thing's never been right since, or whatever. It's <laughs> but yeah, oh, yeah, our steering rakes are all freaking, like, three, four degrees in before, you know, further than anyone's. You can tell because of our, our frames were, like, right next to the heads, where a normal frame was, like, an inch away, you know, in the front. I mean, that's how, how freaking, you know, the front tubes are. But that day I was just telling me about a Springfield. I had all three bikes on the thing, and, and Stump borrowed one of my backup bikes, and he wasn't on my team, so I'm like, well, Stump is fucked because I can't get to his bike, so they're going to catch him. So they disqualified Stump and my other two riders who actually, you know, were racing for me. It was Camlin and um, I think it was Camlin and Hacker. Or I, but I got them through tech. So they in the first and second, and which I needed the points anyway. And Stump, he rented the bike from me. He got disqualified because the bike was illegal. He was so pissed. <laughs> he was so pissed. But I said, hey. Uh, I gotta tell you, that, I'm going to write that down. I'm going to use that creativity. <laughs> oh, there was a ton of things. We ran our primary covers. We ran, uh, there was a three-row primary chain. You know, on XRs, you always make it two-row. We had two-row primary chains in, my XR, in, the, in the primaries. They never pulled our primary cover out. Oh, ever pulled our primary covers off. Except one day in a short track in in Ohio or somewhere at a national and we are in tech and usually just pull the top end off. I do my tricks with, you know, everything to get the top end through. And this time he goes, we're going to pull the primary covers off. I go, what are you going to pull the primary covers off for? Oh, we're just going to pull it. I'm like, well, you don't even need to pull my primary cover off. I told him, I go, you don't even need to see what's in there. I go, we're done. <laughs> so I didn't even pull it off. <laughs> I knew as soon as they seen it inside my primary cover, I was done. And then they had the magnets on the the uh, uh, what's called on the on the alternator. So you know you have all those magnets. That's a lot of drag. So your bike had a charge, but we would take every other magnet off the alternator, so it was just barely charged. And you know, so that was that was a big. It was probably like. 50 things you did, little things that, you know, that helped you make that kind of horsepower out of them. But it, it also helped you had to ride the thing. And I had some of the best riders on the planet on my bikes. But that was so <laughs> that, much fun. It was just, that, it, it was like you'd win the race and then the stress would start. I mean, usually you win a race, <laughs> you're like, woohoo. Okay, all right, now I've got two bikes in tech and on the podium and we got to pull these things apart and we got to go through all these, you know, all these maneuvers to make sure they make it out of tech inspection. And, um, and, you know, 99% of the chance times we, we, uh, we pulled it off. That's um, cool. And, that... and then old man Hayden, he was the best. Hey, old man Hayden loved me because he knew what I was up to. And old man Hayden loved to be on the, you know, he didn't like to be totally, he just liked the creativity. So we had Roger Lee riding um, in one of the, what was the series there that took over from AMA? The um, when they had the six hundred, the Formula USA. Run, yeah, Formula USA, where you can run six fifties with this combination and all these different combinations, right? So my Rotex, I remember, it was a six seventy, and but it didn't have. It was only supposed to be. I forgot the combination, but it was three different combinations you could run. But anyway, mine was illegal without a doubt. And I knew if I got pulled it apart, it was never going to make it. But 
Roger, he was out there, and he he had Will Davis by a whole straightaway at a mile, right? I mean, he was gone. I mean, gone to the point where I was out there trying to slow him down. I'm, like, waving my hands down. Back <laughs> half of it. fucking thing down. They'll never fucking believe you're this fucking fast, bro. you know? And I'm out there with his old man. Me and his old man are out there trying to fucking slow him down on the freaking front straightaway. Anyway, so... Sure enough, they everyone wants to pull the bike down. Everyone wants to pull it apart. So, in the, in the race, Russell got hurt really bad, and took him to the hospital. So, I I just I got him. I said, Russell's like a really good friend of mine. I've got to go to the hospital and see how he's doing. Blah blah blah. So we get in this whole giant thing that I'm going to the hospital to see Russell. I don't care about the race. I don't care about pulling my bike apart. You know, his his personal injury to me is worth way more than this race and blah, 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 blah. So we're going back and forth. Well, I'm not going to pull this bike apart. And now I'm watching my watch, and it was like 30 minutes after the race that they had 30-minute window. So at 31 minutes, I just said, well, 31 minutes are up. It's over. You can't. I, I don't have to pull my bike apart now. <laughs> <laughs> so we never pulled up bar. We won the race. But Will Davis, he was so pissed off. He goes, I can't, because Will was on my bike too, you know, but Will's was a 600. And um, he, because I didn't think Roger was going to go that fast. You know what I mean? Like he was just a kid, just, I was like his first or second pro race. And I didn't think a kid would go that freaking fast, but he just like smoked everyone. I figured you know, he'd hang in there with Willie at a little more horsepower, okay, and, you know, they'd be back and forth and maybe just win it at the finish line. I didn't know he'd have, like, a whole straightaway freaking on everybody. But, um, yeah, we got to win it that one, too. That was a close one. But I actually only, only probably got disqualified two or three times out of, like, all that, all that crazy stuff. But that was all fun stuff. It wasn't, like, the Grand National 750. I mean, you know, never cheated or whatever, got creative on a 750, because that was like the real deal. You know what I mean? Some of these like the real deal, okay, you're on a 750. I may never, never rode a 750 that was oversized. Or, I mean, everything, never rode it without a restrictors or anything we ever did on 750s were, was straight up legit. So, I mean, I never got creative on them, but the 83s and the 600s and all that kind of stuff, we got, we got pretty creative with, which was fun. <laughs> That's great, and, and 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 you know now that we're past the statute of limitations on that, we thought we'd bring on uh, Bruce Bober for your entertainment. I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, oh Bruce, me and him used to go at it. Oh, I used to have him vibrating, and then the pit. I forgot the pit. I called him the pit bastard. I forgot who he had. It was this guy. I just called him the pit bastard, but he was he was like the the. The tech guy, and he wasn't that sharp, which, thank God, he really didn't know that much other than just to look at a dial dial indicator on top of the piston and how to read this number. But he didn't, you know, he really didn't get what was going on in, in the teardown sessions. But, I mean, every, I mean, you got to remember, every race, all the 83s came apart, uh, every race. I mean, it was not just one race, you know, every, you know, it was every race they pulled all the 83s apart, especially mine, because mine always seemed like they were faster than everyone else's. So mine always came apart. 
Well, you mentioned uh, you you mentioned Jared Meese won the 883 championship for you. Um, what what gift did you give him? Uh, I heard you gave him a gift uh, for winning that championship, and it might it might not have been returned the way that he, you gave it to him. <laughs> yeah, he. Um, <laughs> I so I gave all my guys, you know, because we sell we're not just a Harley dealer; we sell a metric brands too, you know. And, uh, so, you know, Suzuki, Yamaha, Honda, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I had a really super clean RM250 that I gave him for a practice bike to stay in shape and whatever, you know. And the thing was like cherry. And um, so he, you know, wins the championship or whatever. And and uh, and I never gave it to him. I, I basically gave it to him just to stay in shape to win the championship. But after the championship, he wins that and all. And then he tells me he's going to go ride for Johnny Goad. And I said, well, I want my RM250 back. So he brings it back to me. It looked like he, he's from the, you know, he, raised, he rode it in Pennsylvania in the coal mines down there, I guess. So just imagine a bike that got towed through a coal mine behind a, like a side-by-side for like 100 miles. I mean, on its side. It was it looked like it, you just could not believe how bad this RM250 was. I mean, it was just black with coal, and all the plastic was just ripped off and scratched, and the pipe was ripped, bent, and dinged, and the handlebars were bent, the seat was ripped. And it, I mean, I could not even believe it at all to even drop it off to me. I go, like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> Jerry got, totally got creative. <laughs> Oh, yeah, he got creative with it. He wheeled it over backwards, like, on top of a hill, and it must have just, like, endowed down this fucking mountain. But, um, yeah, yeah, he thought that was pretty funny. I didn't that, think it was so funny. Whatever. That's hilarious. That's, what racers are. that's just typical racer shit. You know what I mean? They're they're young, they're cocky, and they, that's how they go so fast. But. Yeah, now, I mean, was, was there anybody uh... – and I mean this in a good way. I'm sure you know that everyone was a pain in the ass in their own way. But was, uh, was did anybody outshine the rest? Georgie Price <laughs> was the we used to call him the Buick. He would destroy everything he got on. I mean everything. And he would come up to my, our dealership. We go out. Whatever he rode, and he would he was the kind of kid that would have to ride 24 hours a day. I mean, well. He had to sleep for six hours. When he wasn't sleeping, he was riding something. Everything he rode, he destroyed. I mean, when he left, you know, he'd stay for a couple of weeks. When he left the dealership or left our house, everything I owned was junk. He made junk out of everything. <laughs> he just, and the race bikes were the same way. I mean, I can remember the first time I gave him a 750. I mean, that thing, he totally destroyed my XR 750 I gave him. And then would come in and be all pissed off because he broke it and all pissed off at me. I'm like, you're riding this thing like a, a freaking 125. I mean, you know, and it was a big kid. And he would just hold the thing freaking wide open. And he'd, you know, would come in. The clutch would be smoked. It would just, he would just, I don't know. He, he was probably the most brutal person on equipment that I ever seen. But, you know, the 83s actually worked good for him because he's just so big and strong. And he couldn't blow them up because they, the valves would just float. So, you know, <laughs> He was too pretty good on those. Well, he we, was we, 
we talk a lot of, with the riders about who who the rivals were on the track with like riders, but from a, a mechanical you know team standpoint, who were the your biggest rival like other teams guys you know you might have butted heads with, um, you know you have Bill Warner versus Kenny Tolbert like who was who was the guy that you always kind of went at it with. Oh, Kenny, I love Kenny Tolbert. I mean, you got to have respect for them guys. Them guys are like, they're, they're like gods. I mean, they're just, Kenny Tolbert is probably the best mechanic on the, or race mechanic on the planet as far as dirt track. And I don't think anyone will ever be fill his shoes. I mean, Warner was the same way. I mean, Warner was kind of real quirky. You know, it was hard to get the gnome and get the Lega, and he like pissed off a lot of people. Where Kenny, you know, Kenny never pissed off. Kenny's just a great guy, but I mean, Werner's super knowledgeable and brilliant. But um, as far as race teams back in the day, see, when all the Harley dealers were making tons of money, I mean, we were selling. You know, remember, we were selling like 400 new Harleys a year at $2,000 over retail as fast as we unload them on the truck. So if you just do the math, we were making, you know, like a freaking million dollars back then, all the big Harley dealers, you know. And um, we, so instead of, my theory was, instead of give it to the government, I'm just going to have a kick-ass race team and write everything off. So I, you know, had Maroney's plastered all over everything, and we had a 1-800-FAST. And then I started the 800-FAST-HOG, the FASTHOG.com, because I figured I was going to, you know, come up with a great mail order company, which I had really going good until Harley put the brakes on that because Harley doesn't want anyone mail ordering their parts. But that was really cranking. Um, but uh, basically, getting back to what we're talking about, but so there's a lot of Harley dealers. So Randy had a great team. Randy Texture, he had, you know, three, four guy. I mean, he's always, you know, he was a rival, but a good friend. And um, Bartels was, was, you know, the rival with, you had Springsteen and, you know, um, Rodney 83s and, you know, Bill Bartel was, you know, had the road racers, Eric Bostrom and that. He did a lot of road racing. I did a lot of road racing with them guys and they were a really good rival. Um, it was Mitchell's Modesto Harley had a good racing with Gator Waite and, um, Gator rode some of my bikes, but Matt Waite, they went really good on 83s and never did much on 750s. Um, and then you had Kozar Harley, um, who did really good. And then there was a bunch of Illinois dealers. Um, there was some, you know, you had Tilly and, and a lot of the Southern, you know, they were mostly road racers, but they, they sponsored a lot of flat track guys too. But there was no one really that I never, I mean, it was a, you know, dirt track. It's like a family thing where, you know, no one, it was no really rival that I didn't like hated or didn't like or, you know, anyone that would really piss me off or anything. I'm sure I pissed a lot of other people off, but no, no one really pissed me off. I know I pissed a ton of people off, but um, yeah, but no one really pissed me off much. I just what, had a lot of fun. Now, you know, you talk about all these teams and stuff, and I mean, your, your, your team was such a, like a, just an iconic staple of the sport. And I got to ask you, I know it's maybe a little off the wall question, but who chose your team colors? Because uh, you, you, you took some, you took some like, I would say less than popular colors and you made them way cooler than they should have ever been. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's just because, you know, everyone was orange and black 
Oregon was black and red and, you know, the yellows. And I'm like, and so in, in like 1993, I don't know, 90, early 90s, so I'm a big snowmobiler too, which, oh, let me tell you about Jared and Jake on snowmobiles. Oh, my God. Talk about making junk out of equipment. But um, anyway, so there's this really cool skidoo that that they they came out with that was black with turquoise and like a fuchsia color. And I'm like, wow, it just stood out, you know. I'm like, but that would be a great color for a race team. And that's basically where I got my inspiration um, was from that snowmobile, believe it or not. And then when I bring it over to a race bike, um, I use more of the teal and the black, and and that that teal just uh, you know, it was just a staple. I mean, you could definitely, I just wanted my bikes to stand out, even though it was probably most people thought it was an ugly color or whatever, but it was just, and at night, it was almost like an electric color with the lights on it. It would just like pop. And you could see that bike, you know, under the lights so much better than anyone else's bikes. And, and you're no, not, you know, you aren't, you're definitely not mistaken my bikes. They were just, you know, they stood out. I just but, found uh, a, uh, I found my old school Maroney's hoodie. Well, it wasn't a hoodie. It was like a crew sweatshirt. And it looks like I never wore it. Um, and I have, a, I have a younger sister. I don't know if you've ever met her, but her name's Keely. And uh, she's like, that is sick. And she swiped it from me. So I, I don't even have it. She swiped it and, and took her took it to college with her. So <laughs> it, yeah. it's a, still a popular, popular sweatshirt, man. You, you need to bring some back. Yeah, and I basically designed the tank stripes off of 59CH. It was like the first year they had that small Sportster gas tank on the, one of the Harley's first race bikes. Like the first 900 Sportster that was a race bike was an 883, you know, back in 57, 50, 58, um, 59, you know. And so I took that tank stripe and that emblem, you know, that, that V emblem with the checkers and the thing that came back, that, yep. that really cool emblem on my yep. bike. Was off of 59CH, basically 5859, for their their race bikes that year. So I kind of, you know, I took the the colors from the snowmobile, but incorporated it with the 59CH tank emblem and the tank stripes and and all that. So that's, yeah, I smoked a lot of pot back then and come up with all that shit. <laughs> but, well, he got creative. He got creative. <laughs> he got creative. Yeah. He got well, creative. I'll. I wanted to ask you one more question, and then we have one more segment we do here. It's a higher low line, but would you ever consider coming back to the series with a team of your own again? I guarantee you, if I sell 400 new Harleys at two grand over retail, I will be back with a vengeance. <laughs> it's just so the thing you do when when your business starts to go. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah, your business comes first, and the first thing that's got to go is racing. And you could ask Corey, you could ask any Harley dealer right now. Harley's like really hurting. I mean, I think we're going to probably sell maybe a hundred new Harleys this year. I sell like three, 400 used ones and I sell a ton of metric bikes and all the metric stuff is doing really good. Um, way better than it used to. So, I mean, that's, that's keeping us through, but there's just, there's just not enough money in a motorcycle dealership now to sponsor a race team. And that's what I am. I'm a motorcycle dealer. I'm not like, you know, I don't have like old money or anything that came from anything other than selling motorcycles. So, you know, I had my run there for 15 years, 10 to 15 years when I was making a, a shitload of money selling Harleys and, 
you know, that wave crested. So I'll never have that kind of money again. And you can't go back and do it half-ass. And I actually tried doing it with Kenny Coolbeth, just putting money into a team. And I was just kind of like on the outside looking in and I couldn't make any of the decisions and on what was going on. And it just, you know, I did that one year and I'm like, I'm, I, I'm not doing this, you know, because yeah. you're going to run a race team. You want to be making the decisions you want, you know, you want your colors, you want, if you want, you know, if you're going to spend that much money, you want to run the show. And yeah. Just to put money into another team that someone else is running the show. I just couldn't, it just didn't work for me. Yeah, I just didn't know but, with the uh, with the XG program they have now if you know what your thoughts were if that was uh, ever going to be an option. <laughs> no. No, I hate them XGs. I just hate them <laughs> or something. I just yeah, I just I, I just I mean, after the XR 750 got put to bed, it was kind of like it's so you know I kind of went out with the XR 750. It changed the game, you know, game, yeah, for sure. I, I, I went out. When the XR750 went out, I pretty, pretty much went out. I was done. Yeah. I was in there a little bit more, but, um, yeah. And, I mean, the Indian's an awesome bike, and it, it'd be, you know, the, I know, and I've talked to Brian, I've talked to a bunch of guys, I know that I could build, an, or we could build an XR750 that would run with the Indian's on a half mile. No doubt in my mind. No doubt in my mind, a half mile we could hang in there. We would never be able to do on a mile, of course. But I know on a, on a slippery clay half mile, that an XR750 would definitely work. You know, a track where you didn't need a lot of horsepower. You just needed something that hooked up. Especially you if you got there. creative. Yeah. Well, yeah. no, you wouldn't have to be creative. <laughs> well, you get creative because... <laughs> No, you don't need horsepower on a 750. You actually got to take horsepower out of it. You know, that's the thing on an XR750. I mean, with 83, yeah, you're always looking to get more horsepower. But on a, on a 750, a lot of times you're taking horsepower out of it and you're going faster. But, yeah. Um, you know, and, and they're just, the Harley, I mean, Vance and Hines is, like, I mean, you know, he's like an asphalt squid. And he doesn't understand traction. I mean, I'm sure he is now. He spent probably $10 million, and he's probably just starting to get it because I guess Brian finally got on the podium after, what, him spending maybe $20 million and trying to make that piece of shit he's got um, competitive. But um, if they would just understand, and I try to tell Harley, you know, I go to Harley meetings, I try to tell the people, they look at me like I'm fucking, I don't know what I'm talking about. But you cannot build a motor that doesn't have that big flywheel in the center of it. You can't put a bunch of weight on the outside of the cranks and have it spinning way out there. It's got to be a big set of flywheels in the middle of that motor going around and around. And without that, that's the heartbeat. Without that, you got, I don't care what you do, you can have all this fuel injection and timing and all that kind of stuff. You're never going to be able to replace that to to get the bike hooked up on a, you know, on a slippery half mile. You know, you got that big set of flywheels in the middle of the engine, all that inertia going around, and and you're just adding the horsepower to it, and it's not breaking the tire loose. It's just biting. It's getting traction, and you know they they spend all this money on this piece of shit motor XG whatever the freak it is. And they got all this weight on the outsides of the flywheels, and and who knows what they're doing now? Maybe they finally figured it out and put some weight in the middle of the motor. I don't know what they're doing, but you know, I I knew from day one that motor would never work. 
That was and one of my enough. They built the motor and just they did copied Harley and made it new. You know what I mean? <laughs> that was, yeah. was one of my favorite segments that I've heard on the show. That was awesome. Uh, I, I love the I love the analysis. Our our last segment we do. It's called the higher low line, and uh, basically this or that. And uh, if you want to give a brief explanation, uh, you can do that. But you got to pick one rider to start your team with in their prime. Who you picking, Jared Meese or Jake Johnson? Well, knowing what I know now, it would be Jared. I mean, to pick them when they were both eighteen, it was a it was a crapshoot when they were both eighteen years old. But obviously, Jared has put the time, the work, and the training, and the focus into it. And Jake is just, you know, Jake, it was kind of like me motocrossing when I was a pro motocrosser. I just didn't put enough work into it, you know, and I didn't put, I just just relied on my talent and my balls and, and could go out there and just wing it. And, and you really could be at a level that you have to be at to win this championship like with Briar Bellman and all these guys are just in such good shape. They're so focused. That's all they do. And, you know, that's a Jared Meese. That's a Briar Bellman. That's just not a Jake Johnson, I don't think. I mean, nothing wrong with that because I'm just like Jake, you know. I mean, so I'm, um, you know, I'm just, he, he, he got all the talent in the world, but he just didn't want to work for it. And and he still won national championships and did awesome and he's probably one of the best riders in the you know that ever be in dirt track. But if I had to pick a rider now, it'd be I mean it's easy. I mean the pick one what you want to do is who's coming up right now that's going to be the next Jeremy's or Jake Johnson or Scotty Parker or whatever you know and and uh, that's something I don't follow enough now. I mean I used to be really good at picking talent. I mean I could pick talent out of you know, I could pick these kids up, and I, I just knew if I put them on my bike, they would go out and run up front. And I did that so many times. I did that probably 50 times with riders, put them on my bikes, and they just ran up front. And, I, you know, I was really good at that. Um, but, I you know, I don't know right now because I don't follow dirt track enough, and I'm not there watching all the grassroots stuff, and I'm not there every weekend you know, that who's going to be this next tier of, I don't think anyone's going to be beating up the Bauman kids for a while. I mean, even Bronson's really good. You know, Jared's going to have his hands full with them too. Yeah. No, yeah. No, yeah. No doubt. But uh, I'd never count Jared out. You know, he's Jared's like a Scotty Parker, man. He's just going to be there for the long haul. He's just going to keep at it. And uh, he's just like the real Jared's like the total package as far as, who you'd want for a rider. I mean, he, you know, he does a promotion end of things. He gets the sponsors. He does a really good job with the sponsors. He does, you know, he's an awesome rider. He's, he talks to everybody. He's easy to talk to. I mean, he, yeah, Jared, he, like, he's, he's changed the you game. You gotta stop pumping Jared up. You gotta stop yeah, pumping. You can't, you can't get him too, too hype, you know? It, it, Jared's gonna no, need a bigger I mean, helmet he after he hears this, uh, this paint slap. <laughs> oh, <he's, laughs> whatever. Fucking Jared, he 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 does all the say. He never even mentions me, and I'm the one to put him on the fucking map. You know, <laughs> he's never. I mean, I hear all these energies and shit. He never even remembers who I was. But, uh, yeah, but uh, but we talk all the time on the phone. We text message each other. We we who? I mean, we still. I mean, we're still really good friends and stuff. But 
That's cool. Um, yeah, but uh, I'll tell you a story about Brown Bauman. I knew he was going to be national championship championship material. The first time I seen him race was at Peoria. He was on a 450 in the you know pro am class or whatever. He went out there. He was parked right next to us. I didn't know who this kid was. He went out there, and I'm watching this kid, and he is flying. He's winning the second race. I never heard him before. Winning Peoria, and you know, in the in the pro am class, whatever they called it back then. And three laps to go, he runs out of gas, and his old man was wrenching on his bike. So right next to us, he comes in the pits like if. I came in the pits and my old man didn't put enough gas in my bike or my mechanic. And I would have been the biggest asshole on the fucking planet. Threw a hissy fit. Wah, wah, wah. He came in the pits and he said, no problem, dad. It was a mistake. No big deal. We got these guys. We'll get them next time. Don't, you know, cause his old man was like flipping out. He was like so embarrassed and not, you know, felt so bad, but the kids showed so much class. The first time, you know, I was like, wow, I, you know, because most racers are total hotheads. They're all pumped up. They got adrenaline. They come in. They throw their bike down. They throw a hissy fit, you know. That kid came in there as cool as a cucumber and just, you know, didn't throw his bike down or anything. You know, don't worry, that You know, his old man was way more upset than he was. I'm like, that kid has got his shit together, you know. It was amazing. And then ever since that day, I kind of paid attention to him, and I just watched him up through the ranks and, He's a class act, you know. Just, yeah, and look where he's at today. Yeah, yeah he's gonna be a taxster. Total, yeah, total, total <laughs> class act. Yeah, Shana, she's amazing. Uh, so, all right, the only thing I want to say, I just wish Randy was still alive to watch how good his kids turned out and how good they do and how good Shana and Corey's doing. And it's just really sad because I was really good friends with Randy. We we went to. You know, I used to go on a bus to a bunch of dirt tracks, and we we camped together, we raced together, we raced 883s together, we went to dealer meetings together, dealer parties. We did. I mean, we were really good friends. It was really sad. Like one of the guys I really missed. Uh, you know, and to see how good his kids turned out. Um, you know, it was just it was, it's really amazing. It's really cool. Especially Shannon and Corey, whatever. They were both really good kids. You know. Thanks, Pat. Appreciate you, man. Yeah, no problem at all, man, guys. I mean, he's—he was—I I, don't—I don't know if you knew him. I know you knew him because he was your dad. I knew him as you know, like a really good friend, going just, just an awesome guy, just really and and totally, um, you know, totally serious and and not just the pushover. I mean, he was super serious about his racing and his business, and he probably ran a better business than I did, and probably a better race team. But um, just an, an amazing guy, you know. And one thing I want to say about my son is running my dealership now, and so I'm like semi-retired. And my my son, my son probably had more talent than I did. He just my son kind of just had some really bad luck. He got hurt at Indy Indy Mile when he was like 11 years old. He almost died, and he busted almost every bone in his body. Um, he crashed, and another kid hit him. But I mean, he was he was really going. You know, I mean, he was really fast, and he's still fast, but he, he, you know, that kind of just took him out of the, you know, the racing thing, which in, in a way wasn't a bad thing because, you know, he concentrated on running the business and, and 
getting his shit together more than just going to go to a race every weekend. You know what I mean? Without him, if he were going to races every weekend with him, I don't know what my business would be right now. But um, he, you know, my son was, you know, no one remembers him much, but he was one of the oh, top Oh, he was riders. fast, man. He was <laughs> really fast. Yeah, I'm, smooth, I remember watching Jimmy. He, he'd get it on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and even after he came back and he, you know, he rode a lot of short tracks and really good motocross rides the woods. He's really fast in the woods. You know, I can still hang with him. Another thing that you probably don't know about me, but I'm like super fast in the woods still. Not to brag about anything, but I That's go That's what Darren said, man. Yeah, I go. I can run in the woods with pretty much anyone. Um, you know, probably anyone on the national dirt track scene because they're not dirt. They're not woods riders. I bet you I could run with any of them guys in the woods for, <laughs> you know, and, well, and trail ride. I'd be right, I'd be right with, I'm really good on a wood bike. You know, I'm not too good on motocross anymore because, you know, it's just, well, uh, you have to be a different mindset, but I can go through the woods pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I, before I let you go, I wanted to mention, too, that uh, Chris Carr said hello, and he wanted to ask oh. you how your golf game's doing. Oh, I still suck. Carr is so much better at golf than me. <laughs> oh my God! And Will Davis and all oh, oh guys. I I love golf, and I the only reason I golf is because I gamble, and I play with guys. We gamble for five, ten dollars a hole or whatever. I mean, I would never play golf unless for gambling, because it's like the gayest part on the planet. But once you play for money, and you got to get that ball in the hole to win ten bucks or fifteen, whatever it is on each hole, then it puts a whole different light on golf. You, you got to get creative, huh? You got to get creative. And, and yeah, you got to get creative to get that ball in a hole, no matter how it gets in there, you know. But you can't, and one thing I don't cheat on is golf, I swear to God. I don't get creative cheating-wise on golf because you can't, you can't be the guy that moves the ball or don't count his strokes. You get caught that guy. That's like, yeah. That's, that's bad that etiquette. Yeah. That's you get kicked out etiquette. of the country club for that. Yeah. Yeah, well, your friends, are, you know, you're golfing with your friends, you know. Yeah, but, um, yeah, yeah, but but we we actually put on a bunch of golf tournaments, Chris Carr and I, for Will Davis, and I raised probably fifty, sixty grand for his family and his son Cole to help him get through college and all that kind of stuff after he passed uh, away. That's awesome. So yeah. yeah, yeah, we did a bunch of golf tournaments and uh, and we bring up, you know, we kept Will's name alive for like five years and the, the whole golf tournament thing and and you know. Um, and raise a ton of money. We'd have strippers. I'd hire strippers. They'd be on, you know, all the par threes and trying to distract the guys from, you know, getting on the green. They'd bet, you know, twenty dollars you couldn't hit the ball on the green. They show them their boobs and, yeah, we we got really creative. Oh man, I love that term, Pat. Man, I'm I'm using that term in so many ways from now on, man. I'm gonna get creative with that one. Yeah. Ask Chris about getting creative with the strippers on the golf course. We even had a trampoline on one hole when they were jumping up and down with, you know, naked and stuff just to distract the golfers so they couldn't, you know, hit the ball on the on a par three and make the green so you take their money, you know, and put it towards the Will Davis fund. Yeah, yeah, we got creative. Oh, that but, is uh, great. That is yeah. good. No, the car is a class act. He's he's like that guy. He's just amazing. Like, he's one class act. 
dude right there. Chris yeah, for, for sure. Um, hey, yeah. you know, be, before, you know, it's been great talking to you, Pat. And and uh, yeah. a lot of people, you know, obviously, you know, the team has been such uh, an iconic team in the sport. And, you know, it gets brought up all the time. You know, there's always somebody and we talk to. And next thing you know, you know, we talk to old racers. And next thing you know, they're talking about Maroney's or this or that. Oh, yeah, yeah and there's been so yeah so many guys that you know that have rode your bikes over the years so it you know and there's a lot of people like i said that uh that bring you up all the time so i'm sure a lot of people are going to be really happy to, to you know to be able to hear from you again one difference between now it seems like and back when we were doing it we were just having a lot of fun a lot i mean i know everyone's having fun now but we had a real lot of fun <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I, it was different times, man. It was different times for sure. It was. It is. Yeah, I mean, that's the same thing in motocross and a lot of sports. It's just, you know, you just had way more, it just seems like I had way more fun back then. It's just how everything, you know, just how everything went down, you know. Um, it was just it's a lot of fun. Well, I'm sure you probably but, wouldn't uh, uh, do it any other way if you had no, the chance to do I, it over again. And yeah, you know, you'd I probably. Would. I would. I would. I would just stick to one rider. I would have <laughs> seven riders on my team and road racing and dirt track. And I would definitely have one, maybe two riders. But I, I was out of control. Yeah, I got out of control. I just, I pictured I wanted all three Maroney's bikes on that podium. <laughs> and you so got that. You, you achieved that, I man. Yeah, you, you did it. You did it. I know I did it, but I couldn't keep them all legal if I got all three on the podium. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> That's good stuff, man. That's good stuff. Hey, I got one more quick tank slap, and it's just a A or B answer. And, uh, okay. you know, uh, on a high-low, uh, you got to do Sturgis Bike Week on, like, an old clapped-out Honda Goldwing. Nothing nice, you know, an old beater or a Buell Blast. Yeah, Honda Goldwing. That's the thing. It's like, you know, it's not an easy answer. So you got to do Sturgis Bike Week on an old clapped out like GL1200 or or a new Buell Blast. I'd uh, be the Honda Goldwing. I couldn't ride a Buell Blast. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, uh, I just, a friend of mine guys went up in his garage. I just seen it. We built this old 31 Ford for my girlfriend. She actually built it. She's racing it on the beach with a flathead. It's a vintage race class. Really cool car. Um, you probably see it on my Instagram page. But uh, so we we stopped at my friend's place up in Amsterdam, New York, and here he's got this old clapped out Goldwing in his garage. So I'm like, you got to be kidding me! You ride this thing? He goes, I love it. I'm like, all right, whatever. I go, don't get too close to that 41 or 31 Ford. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, a, there's probably not a better bike than an old Goldwing. Especially doing touring and everything, you know. I just have to wear a dark face shield. No one would know me. <laughs> and I'd be cool. But a fuel blast, you got to be kidding me. I give Randy credit building them things for going short tracking. He built a couple of those. Those yeah. cylinder duels. I'm like, that's hardcore Harley there when you're building one of them things. Yeah, no doubt. But like I said, you know, we just wanted to, you know, on behalf of Tank Slap, and really say thanks, Pat, for for coming on, talking about some of the old days, and, and giving us something to laugh about. You know, I know, uh, yeah. no, you know, we, fun. yeah, it's good stuff, man. I love it. You know, uh, it, I I know a lot of people are gonna love to to hear uh, some of the stories uh, you you oh. talked about, and uh, like I said, you you put a, a a 
you know, something on my radar, man, creativity. I'm going to use that word a lot now in your honor. So, uh, like I said, Pat, we just uh, want to wish you the best and, and say thanks a lot for coming on the show. Another thing, Jared Mees totally destroyed my ex-wife's snowmobile the first time he wrote it, too. <laughs> man, Jared was rough on your stuff. Man. Oh, my God. There was no shock left to it. It had a shock when he, we went after three hours of riding it, and he rode the snowmobile faster than anyone ever seen ride a snowmobile in my life, and he's never ridden a snowmobile before, through the whoops that are like, you know, that you shouldn't be on. This was like a woman's snowmobile he was riding. There was no shock left. You push down the you push down on it, it went boing, 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 boing. <laughs> he blew all the oil out of all the shocks, the forks. I mean, the skis are bent. He just wiped it right out. But so yeah. talented. Hey, well, now that Jared's making so all talented. that, now that Jared's <laughs> making all that big money, you're gonna have to send him a, a bill for for. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That was over <laughs> I thought it was funny at the time. Oh, that's funny. Hey, I think I think we have Corey back on. Corey, are you back on? Oh yeah, I'm here. All right. Hey, all right, cool. <laughs> you just I was just telling him your old man's one of the crazy only crazy guys. Well, one of the only crazy guys I know because he gave me the Buell Blast question is to to try oh, to race yeah. the Buell Blast. <laughs> yeah, that, that was my grandpa's full time job fixing that thing. <laughs> Like, oh man, him and Bill Werner, I think, are the only two to try to pull that off. <laughs> There's like 40 <laughs> pistons I have still with a uh, valve sticking through them or whatever, just yeah, all kinds yeah. of shit just scattered. <laughs> yeah, nice. Bill's in a great race place. I'm glad you got a couple of those back. Yeah, yeah. A couple of them other ones in that super tracker. That thing's well, you're gonna put that on the street. I'm gonna put it on the track if I don't start doing good. You have any better? I gotta put that thing on the track. Do you have any old uh, XRs hanging around the shop, Pat? No, I sold all mine. I'm building a new one. I just got the motor almost done. I'm gonna build a new one, and um, I don't know if I'm gonna sell it or keep it or what. But I got one almost done. A brand new motor. Yeah, a really good motor too. It'd be a great half miler. Man, pretty but, uh, soon the XR will be like a vintage class legal. Oh, wow. it, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> well, we appreciate you coming on, man. I, I definitely, everyone's yeah. going to enjoy these stories, and I, I certainly enjoyed them too. A lot of good ones I, I've never even heard. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. thanks for taking we the time. We can for another two hours I can tell you stories. But, I mean, uh, we'll cool. bring you back on. <laughs> All right. <laughs> cool. Cool. Well, right. thanks again, Pat. We'll uh, catch up with you soon, buddy. Appreciate you. All right. See you at the races. All, All right, right, man. Thanks, cool. Pat. Later. Later. Pat Maroney, what can you say about that guy? We could chat for hours. Uh, oh, legend. Legend. Yeah. Pat's a legend. He's a legend. Some of the good, uh, the 883 stories were epic. Yeah, sorry, I lost connection there. I had to go actually go out in my living room. I don't know what the hell is going on. So we're, we're back in the game, man. We, we're a small budget operation here and uh, had to load up shop and move to a different room while the, while the show was still going on. Yeah, man, I was trying to hold down the fort, you know, while you were gone. I was like, oh, shit, where's Corey, man? How's this going to end? But I'm glad you're back. Yeah, dude, Pat was good. He, we didn't really have to do much. He just had, you know, he could just tell us all the stories. So it was uh, 
that was awesome. The guy, his was his race team was very iconic and very successful, and it's almost kind of uh, I don't even know the right word for it, but like he came, he did well. He, I would say he conquered, and then he pieced. Like it's he didn't hang on too long. Like he left the top of his game. He kind of pulled like a Jordan, like not quite Jordan, but like the you know came top of his game and just left and that was it you know so um definitely interesting guy and like he said his son jimmy runs their dealership now and in new york it's still there and he's uh i i know jimmy well i talk to him a little bit on uh when i can on social media and check in with them i need to make a trip up there actually it's we used to go up to maroney's shop before we'd go up to the middletown indoors and uh pat used to actually give me an xr 100 to race um the first xr 100 i ever rode was pat maroney's xr 100 and uh that bike that I rode from Pat, it actually made me a, a somewhat decent dirt tracker. You know, up to that point, I kind of struggled with flat tracking, and Pat gave me an XR100, and I was amazed at how easy that bike was to ride. I always rode, like, KX60s, and my PW had, like, a massive downpipe on it. It had, like, 80 horsepower. Like, my dad never gave me something, like, that was easy to ride to learn on, <laughs> and Pat gave me his XR100, and, uh, yeah, I'll... I'll never forget that. And then the, the, my first 85cc that I ever got was uh, was Jimmy Maroney's um, CR80. Uh, I guess it was a CR80. So, um, yeah, good, a, lot, a lot of history between uh, the Texters and the Maroney's, and it was cool to hear those stories about my dad. You know, I, I, I definitely didn't, didn't expect it, and uh, it was really cool to hear. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, iconic, you know, there's we talk about a lot of dealers, uh, Harley dealer names, uh, you know, iconic ones of the sport and, you know, Maroney's Harley's definitely uh, one of those iconic Harley dealers for sure, and maybe that that 100 you rode, Corey, was uh, had some uh, creative uh, <laughs> massaging done to it. I don't know, but yeah, I love that it was man. Fast, You're, bro. <laughs> uh, that's funny. You know, I you know, there's so many like there's little, uh, you know, um, I guess you would call them, uh, you know, quotes. You know, you quote people from time to time, and uh, we talked about it on the Aldana show with, you know, you never know how fast you can go till you crash. And, you know, there's certain ones here and there, you know, you hear up that pop up throughout time. And uh, the get creative is going to be the Pat Maroney quote that I'm going to write my little notebook here. And uh, every time I say it, I'm definitely going to think of him. So that was good stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I just know that the exhaust pipe on that thing was freaking huge, man. It was like ginormous. It, it, it was it was worse than like what the Kawasaki twins have to run now to pass sound. It was like a oh, monster horse yeah. cock <laughs> pipe, dude. It was so big. Oh, uh, that's pretty big. Those things yeah. are hideous with those big boom boxes on there. They look ridiculous. That bike was fast, dude. And honestly, like that was the that was the first bike I ever rode where I actually was like, all right, I'm I can actually ride a bike decent. Like I just yeah, I rode so much fast, obnoxious bikes my whole career, and then I rode that 100, and I was like, damn, this is awesome. So, uh, yeah, but no, it was a good show. I definitely want to. Um, Shout out our sponsors that make it happen for us. Bell Power Sports. All three champions from last season wore the Bell Race Star Flex. Check out bellhelmets.com to view their full line of products. Dunlop Tire, the official tire of the American Flat Track Series. To find the nearest dealer, visit dunlopmotorcycletires.com. Hit them up on social media. Tell them we sent you. Western Ohio Motorsports, Greenville, Ohio. They promote amateur motorcycle racing across Ohio. Check them out on Facebook, the Best Ohio Summer Series. Their next race is actually... 
Uh, we'll have to talk about that, uh, Sammy. What is it? The next race for that, is it uh, Greenville? Is, are they running Greenville still on the 28th? No, unfortunately, um, due to COVID, uh, Greenville has been canceled. Uh, yeah, it was Galleon. Supposed, yeah, it's it, Galleon is uh, the next one, a short track and a TT. Um, August 29th, Galleon. I see that right here. Short track and TT, same day conjunction. Um, but yeah, check check that out. Galleons is, is a pretty uh, iconic track. It's been around for a long time. I remember seeing some videos and photos of Ricky Marshall there back in the day and, and things like that. So yeah, check them out on Facebook. Um, the Crowd Race Series over the pond. They're putting on events in Germany that you need to be at. Flights are cheap. They had their first race. We'll have to get some results from them. It was August 22nd, 23rd in Wolf's Lake. Um, and then they got some more events coming up in September, the 19th and 20th in Parcham. It's a half mile and September 26th to 27th in North Hatst. Man, I still got to look that pronunciation that, up. That one's a tough one. I'm sure I jacked it up. And they're, We're going to have to spell that out. Because that, that's, that's a hard one. <laughs> they're drinking Belgian beer and just listening to our show and just thinking, this guy's an idiot. So, uh, But all those races have a Saturday practice and Sunday race, multiple classes, including newbie, mini bike, Supergirl, pro, vintage, Thunder Bike, and Hooligan. We'll have to send Shane over there to uh, race the Supergirl class <laughs> to, to check out their more information on their uh, events. Check out crowdrace.de and it's crowd k r o w d race.de. Um, and then yeah, our our main sponsor too. I, I wanted to shout out is is Roof Systems of of Dallas, Texas. Jerry Stinchfield. Without Jerry, you know, I don't think Flat Track would be in existence right now. That guy does a lot for the sport. Check out commercialroofsystems.net. They have nearly 40 years of experience. And if you have any questions on anything to do with roofing, commercial, industrial, even residential, and uh, you want to get a hold of Jerry, just hit me up, and uh, I'll put you in contact with him. And then, yeah, also, Evil Hours Racing. Uh, they're back at it for uh, supporting the podcast. They're a 501c flat track racing nonprofit, and they work to raise awareness for post-traumatic stress and help veterans get the help they need. Make sure to catch them at the Springfield Mile supporting their pro singles rider, Blake Lomas, on Friday night at the Steve Nace All-Star Race. They'll be handing out information and stickers all weekend long. Check them out, evilhoursracing.com. Good show, Sammy. Yeah, yeah. Are we still live or no? Yeah, dog, we're live. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. And I was about to get creative on something. Uh, well, actually, before I let you guys go, I want to also, Bell Power Sports, they sent us some stuff to give away to the fans. So we have a couple Ooh. hoodies. We have a couple of shirts. Yeah, so high-dollar apparel here. So we're going to do a little giveaway. If you listen to this show, leave us a review on iTunes. So the little purple app on your Apple phone or MacBook, leave us a review and uh, send us a message with that review. Facebook, Instagram, send us a uh, send us the uh, screenshot. The first two people that do it will send you a hoodie and a long sleeve. We have a few sizes, so I know we have the larger sizes, extra large, 2X, I think, uh, large as well. So uh, right. yeah, yeah. Leave a review. The first first two people. First one gets a hoodie. Second one gets a long sleeve shirt. So leave us a review on iTunes. It helps us get noticed, and uh, we appreciate the feedback. So leave us a review. Send us a message with that review, and then your address, and we'll get it sent out. Shout out Bell Power Sports for uh, for the giveaway items. But nah, that's all we got, man. Uh, good show. We will, Great uh, show. We'll come back at you guys next week with more. Peace.
Peace. See ya. Thanks, Lapping Pod Clat. Whoa, shit. What the hell? <laughs> Check that out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, hold on. That'll be a blooper on the back end of this Three. episode. <laughs>